morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad. So glad all of you who are here in the house today are here today. And for all of you who are joining us for church online, thank you for joining us. I'm pretty sure if you come to church uh, Labor Day weekend, you get a free ticket to heaven. So uh, glad that you guys are here today. Hey, today we are continuing a series that we're simply calling Yes, Lord. And, and here's the big idea behind this series. It's, it's really a question. What if we were able to turn the posture of our hearts to always saying in every circumstance, in every situation, in the, in the good times, in the hard times, to always saying, yes, Lord. To always giving God our yes. Whatever that means, whatever is at stake, whatever, whatever comes before us. If we were able to turn our hearts in such a way that, that in every circumstance, in every situation, we could respond to God with our Yes. Well, today I want to I want to keep leaning into that idea, and honestly, it's a tension we have to lean into. But but as we do, I want to begin with a question, and here's the question I want you to think about as we start today: What do you think about when you think about humility? What do you think about when you think about humility? Uh, in 1980, a hit song was released by a singer-songwriter by the name of Mac Davis. Some of you may know this song. Some of you may know it well. Uh, entitled, It's Hard to Be Humble. In case you don't know it, let me just tell you how uh, the lyrics start out. It goes like this. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be some kind of man. Yes, I changed the lyrics. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. For some of you, I know it's hard to be humble, but you're doing the best that you can. And we appreciate your humility. We really do. Uh, you know, truthfully, we live in a world where I feel like for so many people in the world around us, it's, it's just hard to be humble. We live in a world where, where so many people, and sometimes we're guilty of this too, let's be honest. We just feel like we're perfect in every way. We got it all together. We're right. We live in a world where, where people feel like they're entitled to their opinions and that their opinions are always right, right? I mean, that's just sort of the world that we live in. And I don't know about you, but, but it seems to me, and you can, you can disagree with this. This is just my observation. It seems to me that we live in a world where the older people get, they either, they tend in one of two directions, right? The older people get, they either, they either kind of become more kind and sweet and gentle and loving. Or the older people get, they just get more mean and more grumpy. Have you seen this in people? You don't have to point at anybody in the room. But just, you know, people lean towards one direction or the other. And, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because we live in a world where somewhere along the way, somebody gave everybody permission to just say whatever they want to say. No matter how mean it is or hurtful it is to post whatever they want to post, whether it's true or not true, to be as kind or unkind as they want to be. And we just live in this world that's now full of this tension where it's hard to be humble. Where people, people all across the world, people in our communities and even people in the church sometimes have this lack of humility. And, and you know what the problem is? The problem is, is that if, if we don't tend to our own hearts, if we don't tend to our own souls, if we don't, if we don't do the, the inner work that we need to do, then any of us 
can become full of selfishness and self-centeredness and pride. And it's a, it's a problem in the world. It's a problem in our communities. It's a problem in the church. Because wherever there's a lack of humility, there, there is then, it, it always results in constant conflict and fighting and division. And that's a problem in the world. That's a problem in our communities. It's a problem in the church. In fact, in the church where there's a lack of humility, it'll lead to the death of a church. It will actually kill a church. I think that's why James, who was a leader in the church some 2,000 years ago, wrote a letter to churches everywhere, to Christians everywhere, addressing this very specific issue about humility and the importance of humility in in our world. Yeah. In our communities, absolutely. But most importantly, in the church. If you have your Bibles, or if you have the Bible app, I want to invite you to open up to James chapter 4. James, 2,000 years ago, James was a leader in the church, the early church in Jerusalem, the first church, right? Uh, James, he was well respected in his day and time. It, it was James who, who sort of stepped up to the plate when one of the, the very first conflicts arose within the church. There was a decision that had to be made. There was, there was a question that had to be answered. And so these leaders from all across the region all gathered in Jerusalem and they met together and James was a part of that meeting called the Jerusalem Council. And the question before those leaders of the church at that time was about these Gentiles, people who were previously far from God, were becoming Christians. And the question was, can they even do that? And if they can, how does that happen? And James was the one who had the humility and the wisdom to sort of step up. If you go back to Acts 15, you can read this story. You can hear his inspiring words. He was the one who had the humility and the wisdom to step up and to to speak up and to say, you know what, we already see the activity of God in the lives of these people. We already see how God is working, how God is moving. And James famously said this in Acts 15, 19. He said, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. It was James, and I've shared this before, so if you've heard me talk about James, you know this story, but I love this story. It was James that, according to tradition, had a nickname. And his nickname was, was Old Camel Knees. I know that's a terrible nickname, but that's what they called him. And they called him that because he spent so many hours in prayer on his knees that he developed calluses on his knees. He developed humility through hours and hours of quiet prayer before God. And I think that's really remarkable because of this. James grew up with Jesus. In fact, James was brothers with Jesus. They had the same mother. So he grew up from the day James was born, he knew Jesus. And at some point in James's life, he came to the belief that Jesus really was God's Messiah. He really was the Son of God. So if you're not sure what you think about when you think about Jesus, if you're not sure if Jesus really is who he says he is, I would invite you to think about James, who literally grew up with him and decided that his sibling was God's Messiah. I'm not sure I could come to that same conclusion with my sibling, no offense to my sister, but James did. He believed Jesus really was who he said he was. And so James writes this to the church in James chapter 4. And again, this is a letter not to a specific church in a specific time in a specific place. This is a letter that James is writing to Christians everywhere and really for every 
time because he sees this as a problem for every church and every place and every generation. He says this is what happens when a faith family lacks humility. James 4.1. What causes, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Maybe you thought that disagreements within the church was a relatively new thing. Uh, It turns out it goes back some 2,000 years. And James speaks into the life of the church in his day and his time. He says, what's causing these fights, these disagreements, the quarreling among you? Doesn't it come from selfish desire? And don't misunderstand James. He's not calling the church to uniformity. He's not saying you have to agree about everything. He's calling them to unity, which is entirely different. What holds them together, what holds us together is a spirit of love, the bond of peace. But what he's calling them to is to think about life together in an entirely different way. What causes the quarreling, the fights, the war within you is the selfishness that resides within you. And he wants them to understand, you know what, this this failure to, to have humility within a faith family, it's always going to lead to a failure of unity within the church. And this is, this is problematic for a thousand reasons, but for James, the root of all this, the root of all this is pride. And the problem with pride, according to James, and this is huge, don't miss this, the problem with pride, according to James, is that it makes you an enemy of God. In verse 4, he says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. And for James, someone who has spent thousands upon thousands of hours in prayer on his knees before God, nothing, nothing is more important than friendship with God. And so he tells these early Christians, you need to know God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How did James know that he had experienced that? So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Uh, you may want to underline that last phrase. If you have your Bible, if you have the app, you can highlight it, whatever you do, screenshot it. I would do that. This has been one of my favorite verses throughout my life. It's been an anchor verse for my life. It's a, it's a, it's a verse with a promise, right? Come close to God, and what is God going to do? God will come close to you. Another translation says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's the story of the prodigal son in one sentence, right? That, that whenever you turn towards God, God will run towards you. Some of you have experienced this in your own life. I'm convinced James experienced this in his own life. But, but I really love the way that Eugene Peterson translates these ancient words in his, in his version of Scripture called the message. He writes it this way. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. And then he says this, say 
a quiet yes to God. And he'll be there in no time. What's the real source of the division within the church that James is talking about? What's the real enemy? It's it's the devil himself. It's the devil himself that tempts us to be divided. It's the devil himself that that, that raises up division within the the church, that that, that tempts us to to speak, you know, unkindly, how do you say that, towards each other. It's the devil himself that causes division to to rise within us, that causes us to to be harsh, to speak judgment, to be critical. That's, That's nothing other than the devil himself that is the great divider, the great liar. And James says, yell a loud no to the devil. He'll flee from you. Do that in the name of Jesus and he will run from you. Say a quiet yes to God. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Let the love of God win the day. Live your life in absolute humility. In your private prayers, individually, what if this happened within us? We spent time giving God a quiet yes. What would happen within each of us? God could then develop within us, cultivate within us the spirit of humility within us. And James says this is what it means. This is what it looks like. This is how you live. This is how you behave as a people who have chosen to follow Jesus, as those who have decided you're going to walk the narrow way. This isn't the easy road. This is the narrow way. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's choosing humility over and over again. It's choosing humility in the way of humility over and over again. It's laying down your selfish ideas and your self-centered ideas and your own opinions and your own rights and your own self, your own life for the sake of the other and choosing over and over again the way of Jesus, which is the narrow way, which is the way of absolute humility, that quiet yes to God. It leads to true humility in any community, any community in the world, here in this area, And even in the church, that lacks humility will always be at war with itself. That's what pride does. That's what happens. But what happens when when we consider these words that James offers and we spend time as followers of Jesus in prayer, perhaps on our knees, over and over and over again, giving God our quiet yes, is that now God has the opportunity in our hearts and lives to transform us. And I want you to hear this. This is truly amazing. Because what the Holy Spirit, I believe, does in us, in those moments of quiet prayer, giving God our yes over and over again, is now he takes that hurt, he takes that frustration, he takes that disappointment, he takes that fear, he takes that anguish, that stress, and he transforms it. And he transforms it. The Holy Spirit cultivates within us the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, forgiveness, humility, grace, mercy, wisdom, 
a life that overflows with love. And it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen all at once. But when you and I take time over time, like our brother James, old camel knees himself, and we spend time in prayer giving God our quiet yes, he transforms all of that. All of that darkness that we bring before him, all of that angst and anguish, he takes that and he can transform that into something beautiful. And he does it over and over and over again. And so many times we don't even see it happening. You can see it in nature. You can see it in the world around us. You can even see it in the lives of those who, who, whose stories we have in Scripture. But so often we fail to see it in ourselves or realize that it's even possible. People say people can't change. God says, watch what can happen when you take time over time to give me your quiet yes. And you allow my Holy Spirit to cultivate within you the fruit of the Spirit. James says, when you humble yourself before the Lord Something incredible happens. He lifts you up in honor. What do you think about when you think about humility? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary. No applause necessary, thank you. Um, you need to applaud for her, not for me anyway. Uh, we have this thing, I have this thing with my parents, whenever there's a card giving, you know, opportunity, we always send a funny card to each other. And so um, this is the card that I received from my mom uh, for our 22nd wedding anniversary. Uh, if this is true, that uh, if you stay together long enough, you'll start to look alike. That's really bad news for Alicia. Uh, that's good news for me. <laughs> I think there's some truth there though, Right. We tend to become like the people we spend time with. I don't know what you think about when you think about humility, but I tend to think about Jesus. You remember the time that these children wanted to come to Jesus? You remember the story and what, Je what happened? The disciples there, they said, no, 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 we've got to keep these kids away. Jesus is too important. Jesus is too busy. He's got, you know, bigger things to deal with. He's got more important things to, to, be, to be dealing with. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Let the, let the little children come to me. You remember the time when Jesus is walking down the road and there's a crowd following him. And all of a sudden, this blind beggar shouts from behind the crowd, and he's begging Jesus to stop and to heal him. What's interesting about the story is nobody else in the crowd saw the man or heard the man. He was literally invisible to everyone in the crowd except for Jesus. Jesus heard the man. Jesus saw the man. And Jesus healed the man. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You remember when Jesus began his ministry. He gathered with these very first disciples on, on, a, on the side of a hill, on the side of this little mountain, and, and he gave this speech. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, the very first sermon that Jesus ever gave publicly that we have recorded. And, and in the very opening lines of that sermon, do you remember what Jesus said? He said, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. If you want to know what humility looks like, I would encourage you to take a look at Jesus. And if you want to know how to become humble, we become like those we spend time with. So what would happen 
if you and I spent time over time in prayer on our knees before God, maybe, just maybe, like our brother James, we would begin to look a little more like Jesus. About 20 years ago, there was another song written about humility. Uh, the title was not, uh, It's Hard to Be Humble. Uh, it wasn't written by Mac Davis. Um, this song was written by another singer-songwriter by the name of Dennis Jernigan. And the title of the song is Time for a Change. And I want you to hear these lyrics to this song. He writes, you look good in humility. It brings out who you're called to be. For pride just hides your heart and masks your pain in your real beauty. You look good in humility. Clothed in righteousness and peace. It brings out all the features of the heart you're called to be. You look good in humility. I think James, the brother of Jesus, would have loved that song. And I think he would agree. You look good in humility. You look good in humility. It brings out who you were called to be. And the challenge I want to offer you is the same challenge I offer myself. Whatever it is within us that's causing us to be separated from those around us, would we lay that down? Would we lay down whatever it is that separates us from others? And would we put on humility? Would we take off the grave clothes of of sin, take off the grave clothes of pride, take off those grave clothes of division. This is what happens in our baptism. And we put on the clothes of humility. We put on the clothes of love. We put on the clothes of peace. And we, we begin to see people and see the world around us differently through the lens of humility. What would happen if we were able to do that? To truly live lives. To truly live lives of grace, of peace, of love, of humility. Typically at this point, um, I would ask you as a church to stand. But I don't want to do that today. In the spirit of our brother James, old camel knees himself. If you're able this morning and if you're where you can, I would like to invite you to kneel with me this morning as we close. In just a moment, we're going to participate in communion together. We'll take the bread, we'll take the cup, and we'll remember Jesus. But before we come to that moment, I want us to pause in this moment and for us together as a church to come before God in humility. And if you would, I'd like for us to pray together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, we come before you here in this moment in faith and in humility. On bended knee, Father, we come before you and we confess that far too often our, our hearts, our lives, are filled with pride. 
far too often our hearts, our lives are filled with selfishness and self-centeredness. Far too often we, we don't take this opportunity to come before you in faith and humility on bended knee and spend time praying, giving you a quiet yes. Far too often we don't take time to allow your spirit within us to cultivate within us the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility. We confess our sin and we pray, Father, that you would hear our prayer and you would forgive your people. And that, Father, individually but also collectively as a church, you would transform us. We ask that you would transform those things that separate us and cultivate within us a spirit of unity that transform our fear into love, transform our disagreements into compassion, transform our, our hurt into understanding. Father, in the light of your presence, would you just illuminate every dark corner of our heart and would your spirit have its way within us? And through time spent in prayer on our knees, giving you our quiet yes, would you change us and transform us and help us to become, to look more like Jesus. Father, we're asking you to do what only you can do. We're asking you to do something that is not possible by human power, by willpower, by our own power. Father, we're praying that you would come upon us in the power of your Holy Spirit and do what only can happen through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, hold this church together. Grow this church in your love, by your love, for your love, for the world. And Father, I pray that people would see, in an, in an answer to the prayer of Jesus, that people would see in this church, in our lives, among these people, your love manifest, your love amplified, a spirit of love within this church that is different from anything in the world around us, and that the world would know us by our love for you and for one another. Father, would you have your way in us? And would you use us, Father, to be a light to the world around us, to point others to Jesus? Father, we come before you on bended knee. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Yes, Lord. Amen.